Oh, sorry about the delay. Couldn't do much about it. Everyone on the M6 must have been rushing to church, I should imagine. But uh, you can you can wish, can't you? We're turning to the scriptures. The book of Exodus, chapter 40. And I'm going to read to you from verse 17. And then I'm going to read a few verses from the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. So the book of Exodus, chapter 40. Verse 17. It came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle. And put the covering of the tent on top of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark, inserting the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil. He set the bread in order upon it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting, across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle. And he lit the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil. He burned sweet incense on it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle, and he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting, and offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet with water from it. When they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in in all their journeys. And if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night. 
in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And then if you'd like to turn over to the book of Hebrews, in chapter 8, just a few verses from there. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. Hebrews chapter 8, 1 to 6. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But now he has also obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to each one of us. Now I think you can guess what I'm going to speak to you about. By the Bible reading and by the piece of paper that I've given to you. Last time I was with you, I spoke about the Lord's Day. I believe it's a subject that's not much preached about these days. And I believe it's an important subject. But there's also another subject which is not spoken about much these days. And that is the tabernacle. When I was a young Christian, it was quite a common thing for the tabernacle to be mentioned. But few speak about the tabernacle in these days. My title is the glories of Christ. But you said, I thought you were going to talk about the tabernacle. But that's what the tabernacle is all about. Hebrews, we read the word in our little passage. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says, It was but a shadow of things to come. And in the tabernacle you find the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glorious person. So as we think about the tabernacle, we're going to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's a good, good reason why we should spend time in our own private reading, not skipping those last few verses of Exodus, chapters of Exodus, which speak about the tabernacle, but apply our minds and to say to ourselves, what's this all about? What is this tabernacle all about? Now, a few years ago, I spoke on the tabernacle. This was quite a few years ago. And after the service, I came to the conclusion. Those people didn't have a clue what I was talking about. <laughs> they just didn't have a clue. So I thought, well, it must have been a bad sermon. I'll blame myself. So I thought, 
I know what I'll do next time. I'll give a piece of paper with a little diagram on explaining what the tabernacle looked like. So as we go through the verses, everyone knows where we are and what we are talking about. And if you've never thought about the tabernacle, I encourage you to do so. And may this be a little launch pad for you to start thinking. I'm going to be very simple tonight, just to explain very simply some of the wonderful ingredients of the tabernacle. So why? Why study the tabernacle? Answer number one. It's part of God's word. Do you not find this amazing? When God speaks about creation, he has the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. In fact, 56 verses speak about creation. Okay? Now, we know there's other verses throughout the Bible. But listen to this. When God speaks about the tabernacle, it takes up 13 chapters. 457 verses to tell men and women about the tabernacle. And we learn a very simple lesson. And the lesson is this. One of the themes of the Bible is creation. But the greatest theme of the Bible is redemption. About how the Lord Jesus Christ will come and save people like us. And that's what the tabernacle is all about. Another reason why it's a good thing to study the tabernacle is this. How are you going to understand the rest of the Bible? How are you going to understand how they worshipped in the Old Testament? You see, so often we, we read the Old Testament thinking they go about it the same way as we did. But they didn't. At the heart of Old Testament worship was the tabernacle. And then later on, the temple. But the order was still the same. So how are you going to understand Old Testament worship if you don't study the tabernacle? How are you going to understand the book of Hebrews in the New Testament if you don't know anything about the tabernacle? Now, only you read a few verses, but they were talking about the tabernacle and something far better than the tabernacle. So if you're going to know something far better than ta the tabernacle, you need to know about the tabernacle itself. And I'll tell you this. If you want to understand a bit more about the book of Revelation, you need to know a bit about the tabernacle because there's insights and indications and references to the tabernacle in the book of Revelation. And how are you going to understand the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was on the cross he cried. It is finished. And what was finished? Well, his sufferings. His payment for sin. But you remember what happened just a few. Little way down the road. In the temple. That great veil. Was torn. From the top. That's God. Down to the bottom. Old Testament worship was finished because Christ had fulfilled all the 
pictures and all the types of the Old Testament. You see, the tabernacle is pointing forward to something far greater. Question. Who designed the tabernacle? Well, if you look on your piece of paper, you will notice a quote from Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5. It's actually a quote from Exodus 25 verse 40, which says, See that you make all things according to the pattern you shown to you on the mountain. In other words, Moses was to make everything according to what God had said about the tabernacle. Everything had got to be in order, exactly what God had said. Did you notice in our readings in Exodus chapter 40, those words, as the Lord commanded Moses. As the Lord commanded Moses. I don't know how many times it appears, but, but, but that's the point. The Lord designed the tabernacle. It was a shadow of what he was going to accomplish later on in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So every piece of silver, every piece of gold, every piece of bronze, the various bits of linen, the various layout of the tabernacle, as you can see in that little diagram, the layout, it was all designed by God to teach his people about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a perfect shadow of things to come. Now a shadow is not the real thing. <laughs> the real thing was what, to what was going to come when the Lord Jesus Christ would come into this world. So the tabernacle is a picture. We often call it a type. It's a prophecy if you like. Of what would come in the future. So there's only one person who could design the tabernacle. And that was the Lord himself. And Moses the servant of God. Had to make everything. According to what was shown him. In the mount. Now can I just make a little comment. When we think about Mount Sinai. We think the law. But do you know something? On Mount Sinai, not only was there law, there was grace. Because the tabernacle was all pointing forward to that day when Jesus Christ would come and show grace to sinners. And those who had faith in the Old Testament knew that. And they were looking forward to that day when Jesus Christ would come. So the Lord designed the tabernacle. But why did the Lord want a tabernacle for his people? Well, the answer is found in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, when it says, Let them make me a sanctuary, now listen to this, that I may dwell among them. Now, this is an incredible statement. Almighty God wanted to dwell amongst his people. And as you'll notice at the bottom of your piece of paper, it says, There I will meet with you, and I will speak with you. Now, this is absolutely incredible. 
Think about the behavior of the children of Israel. Well, they were a right crowd, weren't they? Murmuring, complaining, unbelief, rebellion. And yet, the Lord says, I want to dwell among you. Isn't that incredible? And there in the tent of the tabernacle, the Lord dwelt among his people of old. Now, I'm going to tell you something more amazing now. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It means, when it says dwelt, it means to tabernacle amongst us. Here is Almighty God, the Son. He leaves his glorious heaven with all its holiness. With all the worship of angels. And he comes down. To be born of a virgin. And he dwelt. Amongst. Us. Isn't that incredible? And what is mankind like? Rebels. Disobedient. We murmur. We complain. We go as far as blaspheme the name of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ came into our world. That's amazing grace. It really, really is. And for the Christian, there's another little thought here. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst. Isn't that wonderful? And that's the blessing of, of gathering together as a church. The Lord has promised to be with his people. So I hope there's no murmuring or complaining because we have to remember one of the solemn things about Christian worship and gathering together as his people, the Lord has promised to be amongst us in public worship. Someone will say, how can that great God that fills the heaven of heavens, how can he dwell in that little tent What's on your paper? How can he dwell in that little tent? <laughs> this is my answer. How can that great God come down to be born from, vir from Mary's womb of the virgin birth? How can that great God become that little baby of Bethlehem and remain God? Well, he did. And that's the wonder of the gospel which we preach. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ. So we haven't gone very far, but we've learned lots of lessons, haven't we, already about why we should study the tabernacle. Now, what I want to do now, this is going to be once again very simple. I want to take you on a little tour of the tabernacle. That's where you need your piece of paper. Okay. Now we'll start at the bottom. There's a. Can you see the tribe of Dan? Alright. The tribe of Dan. There they are. Well there's a man there. We're going to pretend a bit. There's a man there who wants to meet. With God. He knows he has sinned. And he needs to meet. With God. So he leaves his little camp. 
of Dan, and he makes his way towards the tabernacle. In front of him, on the north side, there's one long white wall. It's the wall of the courtyard. That wall, made of linen, is eight foot high, so he, he can't see over the top of it. He's an average man, can't see over the top of it. It's 150 feet long, so he can't really get round it very well. But he learns this lesson. God is on the inside, and I'm on the outside. As he sees that white linen, he reminds him that God is holy, and he is not. When he sees those brass posts that are holding up that white linen, he remembers that brass speaks of judgment. And he learns this lesson. I am a sinner deserving the judgment of God. My sins have separated me from Almighty God. And that's the lesson of the white wall all around the tabernacle. That man is outside and God is on the inside. And that's where we begin, isn't it? And we preach the gospel to people. What's wrong with our world? Men and women are separated from God. God is holy. We are not. We deserve God's judgment. And we're separated from Almighty God because of our sins. Now, is there any hope for this man? Well, there is. Now, if you look at the front of it, there you'll notice on the diagram a main entrance. And you'll see on the picture just some coloured material which speaks of the entrance. How many ways are there to meet with God? How many ways to get to God? Well, if all that white wall is all around, and there's only this one way, it reminds us of the great gospel truth. <laughs> there's only one way to get to God. And it's by the one who said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. That's why we as evangelical Christians say there is only one hope for this world. And it's when people come humbly to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And we see all these little diagrams which children are taught. All the various ways up the mountain. It is error. There is only one way to come to God. That's why Muslims need to hear about Christ. That's why Catholic people need to hear about Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, they all need to hear of Christ. Because there is only one way to Almighty God. So well, there we are at the door of the tabernacle. The main entrance. Now the first thing... The person who wants to come and get right with God sees is the altar of burnt offering. Can you see that? The altar of burnt offering. So the first person that directly gets into that little gateway, that doorway, the first thing he sees is the altar. And he knows that as he's come to God to get right with God, to be forgiven, he needs a sacrifice. 
He needs someone to bear his sins, to pay his debt, to offer up an offering that is pleasing to God, to satisfy the wrath of God. He needs a sacrifice. So with him, he'd bring a little lamb. And that little lamb would be his substitute. And he'd give that little lamb to the priest, and the priest would lay it on the altar. And that little lamb his little heart beating away, the man who had sinned would just lay his hand on that little lamb. And the priest would take his knife and that knife would be plunged into the little lamb. The sinner would feel the death of that lamb. That lamb would be consumed by fire on the altar. And that man would walk away knowing he'd been forgiven of his sin. What a lesson that is, eh? When a person becomes a Christian, what is the first thing that comes into their sight? They know they need one who was a sin bearer, a substitute for them, who took their punishment on the cross, who endured the wrath of God on their behalf. They see Christ in all his wonderful love on Calvary. John Newton's hymn, it's an old hymn, but it's a great hymn. This was his testimony. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear. And listen, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree. In agonies and blood, he fixed his languished eyes on me. As near the cross, I stood. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for your ransom paid. I died that you might live. That's a hymn, isn't it? When I speak to someone, and I want to know whether they're a Christian, when you sort of got pastoral duties, and I want to know whether they're really a Christian so they can be baptised, this is the question I ask them. What is the greatest thing Jesus Christ has done for you? Now the answer to that question will reveal all. If they say, Jesus Christ was my substitute, my sin bearer, He took my punishment on the cross. His blood was shed that I might be forgiven. That's the answer I'm looking for. And I trust that be your answer. That you're trusting Christ alone for salvation. So the first thing they saw as they got to the door was the altar. Picture the cross. Now from For the journey now into the rest of the tabernacle, only the priest could go. Not the ordinary person, only the priest from the tribe of Levi could go. Okay? And the next object they come across, can you see it? The laver. The laver. Now, they can't go into the tent of the tabernacle until they've been to the laver. Now, the laver was a 
big round bowl containing water. And they had to wash their hands and their feet. The hands spoke of their doings, the feet spoke of their goings. They had to be cleansed. The laver, <coughs> ladies, how about this for sacrifice? In the days before glass mirrors, you used to have a bit of brass, which you used to polish, so you get a reflection of yourself. The ladies sacrificed all their mirrors in order that the laver might be made. Incredible. So the laver is a very important instrument. It speaks of reflection, the mirror. It speaks of water. And it speaks to us about the Bible. Before a person can be of use and service in the Lord's work, they need to spend time with the Bible. And I'll tell you why. It's like the laver. It has a cleansing effect. I'm not talking about the blood of Christ now. I'm talking about the, the pure word of God having a cleansing effect upon your mind, upon your thinking. It's God's word. And that's why it's wonderful. Psalmist said, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to thy word. Ephesians says that, they, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Jesus said ye are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. And in James chapter 1 it speaks of the Bible being like a mirror. When you go and look in the mirror well, you see what you like. And James' point is this. Don't just be hearers of the word but be doers of the word also. So the priest, before he could go into the tent of the tabernacle, he had to be cleansed by the water from the laver. Now, we're just outside now of going into the tent of the tabernacle. Now, from the outside, it looked a bit drab. <laughs> it was covered in badger skins. Okay, didn't look very attractive. In fact, the one thought would go through the priest, Michael, it must be dark in there. But from the outside, it just didn't look attractive. Do you know something? The unbeliever, when they look at the person of Christ, now to us is the pearl of greatest price. But to the unbeliever, they see no beauty that they should desire him. They don't see anything in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're on looking at the outside. But the priest had the privilege of going on the inside of this tent of the tabernacle. So he go past the first curtain into the tent. He must be thinking, oh, it's going to be dark in here. But when he gets inside, it's light. In fact, down one side of the wall and the other side of the wall... It's covered in gold. And he can see this glorious gold. From the, the floor to the ceiling. Gold all the way along. And then he can see a little table with some bread on it. He can see a little altar with incense being burnt on it. How can he see these things? 
Well, you can gather by your little diagram. There's a candlestick. And it's burning with oil. And it lights up all the glories of the tabernacle. And he sees on the curtain in front of the Holy of Holies, cherubim embroidered on it. Blue, scarlet and white in that glorious thing. And, and he looks up and he sees cherubims and all this wonderful colour as the candle lights up all these wonderful things in the tabernacle. He's overwhelmed by the beauty of the place. Now isn't that true for the believer? When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes within and this old book, which you didn't want to read before, and this old book you thought was so boring, all of a sudden, it comes alive. You have illumination. The things of God are real and precious to you. And you see wonderful things which you'd never dreamed of before in the book, the Bible. And you see some wonderful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just say, I've heard people say this. Well, we need a modern translation of the Bible which speaks in today's language. Doesn't really matter about being, you know, authentic. Doesn't really matter about being faithful to the Greek or the Hebrew. Just so people can read it. But that's not the answer. People have no desire to read the Bible unless... They know the author of the Bible, the Lord himself. And that's the great need of men and women. So this wonderful cam candlestick, it lights up all the place. And of course, as he sees the, the, the showbread on that little table there, it reminds him of Christ. Who can satisfy the soul? Who can satisfy the hunger in your soul? The one who's the bread of life. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he sees that little altar of incense with, with incense going up. And he thinks, hey, that's like my prayers. They go up to God. Isn't it wonderful? And that's all about that first part of the tent of the tabernacle. Now there's a second part of the tabernacle. And can you see it? It's called the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, that is where God dwelt. And in that place was called, there was one, one part of the furniture called the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant. Now that Ark was made of two materials, wood and gold. Made of wood, then overlaid with gold. It's interesting, just two materials. Speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ. Truly man, yet truly God. In one person. The Lord Jesus Christ. In that box, that's what it was, the ark. Were the ten commandments placed. A bit later on, something else would be placed in there. Some manna and Aaron's rod that budded. But isn't that interesting? When Jesus Christ came into this world, what did he want to do? He says, I delight to do thy will. Oh God. He came to live an obe obedient life. In our world. Now on the top of the ark. There was what they called the mercy seat. 
And once a year, and only once a year, could the high priest go in on the Day of Atonement, taking with him some blood, and he would walk into the Holy of Holies. He'd be in the presence of God. And he would know this, that that blood was saving him from the wrath of God. He'd be consumed because he was a sinful man in the presence of a holy God. But that blood was saving him from the very wrath of God. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And that same blood, he would have communion with God. That's why it says at the end, um, at the bottom of that piece of paper, there I will meet with you and I will speak with you. The Holy of Holies, God was there to have communion with a sinful man. Now the wonderful thing is this, that man could only go in once a year. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he cried, It is finished. The veil of the temple was torn in two, and every believer now, spiritually, can enter into communion with a holy and a just God because of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Amazing. That we are his people can have access to almighty God. Well that's something about the tabernacle. It's a bit of a brief tour. But there are lots of books, good books, that tell you more about it. But just by the, the reading of it, along with the book of Hebrews, you can find some wonderful treasures from these scriptures. Let's pray, shall we?